Well, good morning, uh, everybody. Great to see you. My name's Craig, uh, if we haven't met before, and yeah, just want to extend a, a warm welcome to you. Um, so you probably are well aware that the Commonwealth Games just finished up uh, earlier this week. Many people have been watching those in the previous couple of weeks. Who's been staying up really late and watching it, like way past your normal bedtime? Okay, that's good. You're allowed to confess, that's fine, you know, no one's going to judge you, hopefully. Who's just been like, I'll just watch the highlights on the sports news and, and that's sort of about your level of interest? <sighs> I suppose it's not the Olympics, is it? Uh, who really doesn't care at all that, you know, it's like, what Commonwealth Games? I didn't even know <laughs> it was happening. New Zealand is a bit of a sports-crazed country, and so when some of our other teams aren't doing so well, it's, it's really nice to celebrate the successes of the Commonwealth Games athletes. And um, I suppose I've, I've watched a little bit of it, not stayed up super late, although I did watch a couple of races, but probably what I've liked the most is, is discovering the story behind the success. So several of um, the athletes that I sort of heard about or watched, they had quite a, an interesting journey to get to the point where they got to. So for example, this guy here, Sam Gaze, he uh, overcome a lot of mental health challenges and double knee surgery in March to win a gold medal in the mountain biking race. He beat everybody else in the Commonwealth and um, did pretty well with that. Or this guy, Jack O'Gill, so he won a silver in the shot put, but he's last few years have had several major injuries. In fact, three years ago, he had eight months, completely no training, no exercise at all because he had inflammation of the heart and anything would have you know, tipped him over the edge. So, you know, turn around and, and compete and not only compete to come second, which is pretty impressive. Or this lady, Julia Ratcliffe, she got a silver in the hammer throw and she's probably someone you don't want to mess with because she can swing a metal ball really hard in a circle. But uh, she had COVID the week before she had to compete, so she was actually in bed for about three days right up until her event, which is crazy, right? So some really inspirational stories behind those kind of headlines, and they're really stories of elite athletes who just endure challenges and, and overcome adversity, and, and I find that really kind of fascinating. It seems like sometimes sport can bring out the best in people. And I wonder if that's why the writers of the Christian Bible picked up on this kind of idea that life is often like a sporting event. So when, uh, in the first century, when much of the Bible was being written and collated, by that stage, the, the Greeks had had a, a long history of the Olympic Games, stretching uh, for you know, several centuries and being based in Athens. And a lot of those events at those ancient Olympic Games were revolved around running and jumping and throwing competitions. And so some of the biblical authors pick up on this quite familiar imagery for their, for their first listeners and readers, and they pick up on this idea of athletics, and they argue that life can be compared to a race. Some of you think life feels more like a sprint, right? There's all that hustle and that hurry and it's just rushing from one thing to another. But the biblical position is that life is more like an endurance sport. It's, it's more like a long distance marathon than a 100 meter sprint. Now, is anybody here into long distance running? You know, it's something that you do as a regular pastime. You're interested in it? No. I didn't think so. Because it is really 
hard. <laughs> uh, so I'm not a runner, that's my straight up confession. I think if you're a runner, you've either got it and you love it or you don't. And I have neither of those things. If I want to go somewhere, I will walk. If I want to go somewhere faster, I will ride my bike. If I want to go somewhere faster than that, I'll take a car. And if I want to go somewhere really fast, I'll take my private jet. <laughs> which I'm working on. It's not quite there yet, just in case you're like, whoa, what's going on? But even thinking about running, just I get exhausted by it. Like it's, it's, it's really hard work. And if you ever talk to runners, they say, oh, you know, we're really feeling the burn. <clears throat> when their muscles are aching, <coughs> which doesn't sound nice, or, or they talk about cramping up when they get dehydrated, or, <coughs> or even long-distance runners, they talk about hitting the wall, where the point, they get to the point in the race where every step is just laboured. And I don't know about you, but that does not sound like fun to me at all. And, and maybe some of you feel like you're running an exhausting marathon of life. You know, you've got health concerns, maybe there's tensions at work or at home, kids are playing up, money might be tight, perhaps there's a lack of a sense of purpose in your life, or maybe you're just physically or emotionally or mentally drained. And so, friends, I want to encourage you to keep running the race, and I want to remind you that even though it might not feel like it, God has actually laid a track for you, He has he has marked out the lane that you are in. And it could be possible that at some of the challenges that you're facing right now are actually hurdles. Hurdles that are going to help sharpen your skills. They're going to strengthen your resolve and they're going to deepen your trust in God. So we're going to look at some encouragements from one of the biblical authors, uh, the person who wrote the letter to the Hebrews. And if, if you've got a Bible, I invite you to turn there, swipe there, whatever, but join with me as we unpack this a little bit. While you're doing that, let me give you a little bit of background info. So scholars aren't really sure who is the author of this text. They know it was written round about the mid-60s. That's the first century 60s, not the 1960s, a decade many of you will be familiar with. Um, so written in the first century in the 60s, round about 30 years after Jesus, give or take. And as, as we read through the letter to Hebrews, it's pretty clear what the purpose is. The purpose is to encourage the second generation of Christians, Jewish Christians, who are in the midst of tough times. And it seems that this letter is written to people who are feeling weary, they're feeling disillusioned and discontent. And, and I'll tell you why, because... As Jews, they were rejected by the Romans for being foreigners. But as Christians, they were rejected by the Jews for being heretics. So they're kind of in no man's land between the different ethnic groups. And, and not only were the original recipients of this letter suffering social exclusion, but it's very likely they were experiencing physical and emotional suffering as well. See, in the mid-60s, Emperor Nero unleashed a savage persecution uh, against Christians, which spread across the Roman Empire. So it's a pretty tough time for these people, and this is where we kind of pick up the story. Romans, uh, Hebrews chapter 12, uh, starting at verse 1. This is what we read. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up. And let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. 
We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame. Now he is seated in the place of honor beside God's throne. Think of all the hostility he endured from sinful people. Then you won't become weary and give up. This is, this is really one of my favorite texts in the Bible. And, and there's so much in this whole chapter. We're not going to have time to unpack it in detail. But I would encourage you to you know, go and read it more fully for yourself. But you'll see that in the midst of the challenges and the changes that these people are experiencing, the letter writer encourages his readers to avoid becoming weary and giving up. And maybe, maybe you can relate to that. Maybe feeling tired. Maybe feeling worn out and weary. You know, the uncertainties of the last couple of years have definitely been unsettling. There's been widespread illness, public health restrictions, social disruption, economic instability, and the weather this winter has been terrible too. <laughs> but I want you to look at what the writer of this letter reminds us of. If you're a Christian, then you are surrounded by a huge crowd of witnesses. And in the previous chapter, chapter 11, <clears throat> the author lists a whole bunch of friends of God who faithfully ran their race. And, and he lists some of the really big names in Jewish history. So people like Noah, Abraham and Sarah, Joseph, Gideon, David, and, and a whole bunch of others. And if you're familiar with any of those people and their stories, you'll know that they all faced significant challenges through their life. I mean, Noah, he, he faced public criticism and ridicule for what he did. Abraham and Sarah, they had to experience infertility. Joseph, he was falsely accused and, and wrongfully imprisoned. Gideon, he, he suffered, really wrestled with self-doubt. And David struggled and fell into temptation. But despite their faults and their failings, all of those people enjoyed the victory that God had prepared for them. Look at what we read at the very end of chapter 11. By faith, these people overthrew kingdoms, ruled with justice, and received what God had promised them. They shut the mouths of lions, quenched the flames of fire, and escaped death by the edge of the sword. Their weakness was turned to strength. And so in the midst of those tough times, those people confessed their sins, they held tight to God, and they faithfully endured. And now, these people, and countless others who have gone before, are, are literally cheering us on to the life of faith. And I don't know about you, but I really draw encouragement from that example, from, from their example of faithfulness. I mean, they were far from perfect. Just like me, just like us, they had flaws and they had faults. But they were faithful to the end. They, they ran their race trusting in God. And I think it's heartening for us to know that we don't actually struggle alone. In fact, we're not the first to struggle with the problems that we face. There have been millions of Christians who have run the race before us and won. And that life, that legacy, their inspiring witness is something for all of us to, to follow in their footsteps of. And so if you are doing it tough uh, today. May, may I encourage you to draw on some of that heritage, some of those inspirational people from Christian history. You might have heard of this guy, John Calvin. He was a, a leading theologian, a leading thinker about 
God and faith uh, during the 16th century in the Protestant Reformation. He was also very sick, so he hardly ate any food, and as a result, he became severely malnourished. He had various fevers, most likely malaria. He suffered from hemorrhoids, frequently bleeding. It just totally drained his energy. He had kidney stones, gout, an enlarged spleen, heartburn, indigestion, chronic insomnia. He also hardly ever slept. And, and yet, John Calvin radically shaped a lot of the theology. It, quite possibly a lot of your thinking about God can be traced back to some of his influence. Or this other guy, David Brainard, he was a, a pioneering missionary to the indigenous Americans, North Americans in the 18th century. He died when he was 29 years old of tuberculosis, but he'd been suffering from the symptoms for almost a decade, and he experienced during his, I guess his life, extreme loneliness and, and bouts of depression. But his life, and particularly his diary, which he left behind, inspired countless millions of people to, to go and commit their lives to God as missionaries around the world. Or Charles Spurgeon, one of the most influential Christians of the 18th century. He had inflamed kidneys, he had gout, he had rheumatism, he had uh, depression. It would just come in waves, sometimes lasting weeks, sometimes lasting months. If he was alive today, he would be diagnosed as being clinically depressed and on medication. But in his preaching, which thousands of people turned up to hear every Sunday, he inspired them to live their lives for God. He, he established orphanages for children. He set up leadership and training schools for pastors. He was, he was arguably the most influential Christian of his generation. Or maybe Joni Erickson Tata. Uh, 50 years ago, she was a fit and active teenager, but she dived uh, into, into, a, into a body of water, broke her neck, severed her spinal cord, and has been paralyzed from the shoulders down ever since. So obviously her mobility is, is pretty limited and she suffers in constant pain, but she has advocated for people with disabilities and she has supported that work through charitable and media outlets which she has set up. She has a leading voice for women and for children across the modern Christian movement. Now there is literally thousands of other Christians which you could draw inspiration from. And, and if you want a bit of a deeper dive, uh, I've put a couple of website links and a couple of podcasts on our church website if you wanted to dive into that. And maybe just discover a little bit more about those who have gone before and the inspiration we can draw upon. There's another highlight from the letter of Hebrews I want to point out to you. And this is what he writes, Let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up. I don't know if you've ever done any exercise with one of those weighted vests on. Do you know, you know what I'm talking about? They sort of look a little bit like a bulletproof vest, but they've got special pockets and you can load up the weights uh, in, into this vest. And so the whole point is that it increases resistance, so your body has to work harder, so you'll become stronger and faster. But an athlete will only ever train with a weighted vest on. They'll never compete with a weighted vest on, because if they did, it would slow them down with all that extra weight that they had to carry. It's kind of like having the handbrake on in the car or, or having your shoelaces tied together. It just really limits your movement and your momentum. And so the author of Hebrews points out that it's pretty hard to make progress in life when you're weighed down with sin. 
And so I just want to pause and ask you a simple question. Is it possible that some of the challenges you are facing are because you have been disobedient to God? Maybe some of the things that you're spending your time on or spending your money on. Maybe some of the people you're hanging out with. Maybe it's a particular habit or an obsession that is just taking you away from God. Now, now please, no, I'm, I'm not trying to send you any guilt trips here, but, and I'm definitely not saying that, that all the challenges you're facing are definitely a result of your sin. There's only something that you and God can figure out, but, but if you think that part of the problem might be some residual sin, I'm just going to give you a moment to, to silently confess that that might be tripping you up, that might be holding you back, just between you and God, really simply and really sincerely. The author of Hebrews moves us forward after this. And once we strip off that sin that trips us up, we're to turn our eyes to Jesus. Jesus is the key to running a race with endurance. And if you, if you get nothing out of our time together... Get this, we're to keep our eyes on Jesus. He is the ultimate coach. He is the most skilled trainer, the best teacher, the greatest mentor. Having Jesus in your life is better than having Muhammad Ali coach you in boxing. Having Jesus in your life would be better than having Usain Bolt train you how to sprint. Having Jesus in your life would be better than having Michael Phelps teach you how to swim or or Pele teaching you how to play football. Jesus is the champion of our faith. He is the one who's gone before. He's done the hard yards to make a way for us to reconnect with God. You might have noticed that the author of Hebrews says that Jesus endured the suffering and shame on the cross for the joy that awaited him. And Jesus knew that this suffering was going to be short-lived. He knew there was a bigger picture. There was a greater purpose at stake. Jesus' death on the cross and his resurrection from the grave gave us a chance to know God, to experience true joy, to live life as it was meant to be. And you might say, well, that was all well and good for Jesus. Clearly there was some purpose to his suffering, some sort of eternal value. Jesus was playing his part in in a big divine drama, but what about me? What is the point of my suffering? What What is the purpose of the challenges that I'm facing? You know, my life feels less like a purposeful race and more like an unending treadmill, which is just going nowhere fast. One of the first followers of Jesus was a guy called Paul, and he has a fascinating story. You can read it in the book of Acts. According to 2 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul knew his fair share of suffering. He'd been whipped, he'd been beaten, he'd been stoned, he'd been shipwrecked, he'd been rejected and criticized, he'd been arrested and imprisoned, he'd uh, worked long hours, days and nights. He knew what it was to be hungry and cold. I mean, this guy knew life to be tough. But as he reflected on his life, as he looked back, he could see God's faithful hand at work. This is what he wrote. And we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. Can anything, 
ever separate us from Christ's love? Does it mean he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity or are persecuted or hungry or destitute or in danger or threatened with death? No. Despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. Paul was absolutely convinced that the challenges that he faced were part of a bigger plan. And with his eyes fixed on Jesus, he trusted that things would work out because of the love of Christ and to the glory of God. They need to know that Paul was not some sort of like hippie, head-in-the-clouds kind of dreamer type guy. He was a realist. He knew the gritty reality of everyday life could be tough. Maybe you've heard that phrase, when the going gets tough, the tough get going. I wonder if a better phrase would be, when the going gets tough, the tough get looking. Looking to Jesus. And if we are motivated by that deeper purpose that he calls us to, that greater goal, we can see the perfect prize is life with him. So if you are struggling, I just want to remind you that you have some God-given purposes to fulfill. You are uniquely created. You are divinely shaped. The roles and responsibilities that God has given you have a bigger picture uh, in mind. Maybe it's uh, you as a husband or a wife to your spouse. Maybe your role or responsibility is a parent to your, to your child or a friend or a good neighbor or an employee or an employer or a mentor or a teacher or a coach or a counselor. Some of the roles that God has given you, those, those are the roles that God has given you and he calls you to carry these well, to look to Jesus, to draw your strength from him, to push through your problems and fulfill the purposes that he is for you. Back in 1968, the Olympic Games were held in Mexico City. And um, one of the events of those Olympic Games has become one of the most famous events in sporting history. It was the marathon, the premier long-distance running event. And the 1968 Olympics marathon is remembered not for the winners, but for the athlete who was last to cross the finish line. His name was John Akwari, and he was the runner representing the African country of Tanzania. And in his training, he had you know, trained hours and hours, miles and miles on the road, but he had not prepared himself for the altitude of Mexico City. It was about, Mexico City is about 2,000 metres above sea level. The old man range is about 1,500 metres. So unfortunately in the race, John Akwari quickly fell off the pace. And his muscles were cramping, and, and halfway uh, through the race, he was involved in a crash with a whole bunch of other runners who were sort of jostling and pushing for position. So Akwari tripped, and he fell, and in the crash, he dislocated his knee, and he smashed his shoulder, and he got a whole lot of cuts and bruises, and, and with his slow pace and his, his massive injuries, it was pretty obvious he was never going to win a medal. But instead of withdrawing from the race, Akwari continued on. The medical team put his knee back into place, and there was some strapping and tape. He returned to the race. But he couldn't properly run. 
He could only sort of hobble and then shuffle and then limp the rest of the 21 kilometers. And so by the time he entered the stadium for the final lap, the winners had long gone. They had won. The medal ceremony was over. The crowd was dispersing. It was getting dark. There was really only a few thousand people in the crowds and one last TV crew which was packing up. But as Akri shuffled into the stadium and onto the track, the remaining cloud clapped and cheered him on. And when he finally crossed the finish line, the TV crew rushed up to him and, and they asked him, why didn't you quit the race? And this is what he said. My country did not send me halfway around the world to start the race. They sent me halfway around the world to finish the race. The writer of Hebrews goes on in chapter 12 and he says this. So take a new grip with your tired hands and strengthen your weak knees. Mark out a straight path for your feet so that those who are weak and lame will not fall but become strong. And there's that imagery of an athlete strapping on support. And even so much more than back in the 1960s when Akari just had some tape around his knee and a, you know, a bit of a thing on his shoulder. Like the modern athletes have super high-tech supports. You know, compression clothing, braces for joints, wearable trackers, padded shorts, headgear, mouth guards, shin guards. All of those things that athletes have are designed to strengthen and support and protect them. And if you're a Christian, you have next-level support available to you. You have people in your team. You have all this in your corner. You have God who is the creator of life. You have Jesus, the perfecter of our faith. You have the Holy Spirit, a comforter who will guide you into truth. You have the Christian church, a cloud of witnesses, men and women from history who are cheering for you. You have a community of Christians here at ABC and around the world who are called to love one another. You have the Bible, you have prayer, you have worship, you have a whole bunch of stuff. All of this strengthening, supporting, and protecting you. The odds are totally stat in your favor. You are on the winning side. And if you're not a Christian, I really want to tell you, you know, check out this. This support is available to you. You don't have to run your race of life alone. If you are feeling tired or weary or worn out, there is physical and emotional and mental and spiritual support available to you to help you be your best. So if you're doing life tough, if this race of life is just hard going for you, if you've hit the wall, let me urge you to persevere. Strap up those weak knees, wrap your tired hands, hold tight to the promises and the purposes of God and lean into the support that is available so that you can receive the prize of life with Jesus. And if you want to talk about anything uh, with myself or our leadership team, we'd be very happy to. We've got a prayer team here after church in the corner because the Christian life is not a solo sport. It's a team event and we want to share the load with you in whatever way we can. So friends, very simply, be encouraged. May you continue to run your race. May you be inspired by those witnesses who have gone before. May you keep your eyes on Jesus as you pursue your God-given purpose to live and love like Jesus. Let's pray.
God, we are grateful that you have marked out this track for us and you give us all we need to run that race and to pursue the prize. And so we ask just simply for your strengthening and your support to everyone here, everyone listening, everyone who is doing life tough. We really want to strip off all that holds us back, strap up our weary knees and wrap our tired hands and keep our eyes on Jesus.